Welcome to the Twimmel AI Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Charrington. Hello, everyone. I am on the line with Danny Lang. Danny is Vice President for AI and Machine Learning at Unity Technologies, and I'm super excited to have him on as a guest. Uh, Danny, uh, why don't you say hi to the audience? Hey there, and thanks for having me. Absolutely, absolutely. So uh, why don't we start by having you tell us a little bit about your background? You have quite an impressive background in this field, having built platforms at you know pretty much all of the places that are, or many of the places that are doing very cool things with ML and AI. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Sure, yeah. I, I joined uh, Unity Technologies uh, about three months ago. Uh, I saw uh, gaming and, 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 and VR and AR as, as a huge uh, opportunity uh, to go in and, and change it through AI and machine learning. Um, but I think uh, we'll talk more about that in a moment. But, but before joining, joining Unity Technologies, I was head of machine learning at Uber, which is a complete different business. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, At Uber, uh, we used machine learning basically all over the company. Uh, there were three really big areas. Uh, one was uh, drivers, riders, and trips, where we used machine learning to, to give you a better experience, both as a driver as and a rider, uh, and then there's the whole map business of building maps for the for, for the Uber drivers. A uh-huh. uh, lot of machine learning there to to basically convert uh, street side imagery and and other data into maps automatically. And then the last area is is of course the famous self driving cars uh, was involved in that effort as well. Uh, a lot of machine learning there. Of and, course. Yeah. And before Uber, I was uh, general manager for machine learning at Amazon. And it's, uh, it's also very, very uh, interesting to see how, how uh, Amazon really understood to use machine learning in all corners of the company. I ran uh, the Elastic Machine Learning Team, which was essentially a, a platform uh, that other teams could use uh, to enable machine learning in their specific business areas. So mm-hmm. we had, you know, lots of teams using machine learning that way. And before that, I was at at, at Microsoft. I was also working on machine learning there. <laughs> uh, so it goes on and on. Uh, many uh-huh. years ago, I, I spent eight years in two different startups where we were trying to build uh, virtual assistants, the ones that we know today as Alexa and Siri. We... Uh, tried to build them at that time uh, for for the early mobile phones. Okay, and, uh, that was a, that, that was pretty tough because the speech recognition at that time maybe had an accuracy of eighty uh, percent. Today, what is it, ninety five? So those were hard hard times to do <laughs> to do to do AI <laughs> because it didn't seem very smart. We've made a lot of progress. Oh yeah. Okay, and so how did you get into uh, machine learning in the first place? Did you study it in school? No, early on. This is very long, so long time ago. I don't want to talk about it. But I, <laughs> I was, uh, I, I, I got in when I was at IBM Research. My key area okay. was autonomous agents. So okay. it was a lot of the vision of having. Uh, software that would make decisions on its own. You would let it loose. I developed what we called mobile agents, and it would basically be software objects that could move over the internet and, and adapt to local environments and things like that. Mm-hmm. But it was all sort of fairly uh, engineering-heavy. Engineering-heavy right. development. Yeah, We designed these, we implemented them, and if you had a bug in there, it would get stuck on another computer, not move on, and things like that. So... I got really interested in how you could you could make these agents more resilient, and mm. that's sort of where we're headed today with with machine learning, with uh, concepts like reinforcement learning and 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 other technologies that uh, allow these uh, objects to learn and adopt uh, adapt to the environment they're in. Okay. Uh, well, that's uh, that is a really interesting topic and one that we won't. Uh 
dive into right now. Um, where I really wanted to go with this is, you know, we've talked about a lot of different applications of machine learning on this podcast, but we've never talked about gaming. And so I'm super excited to have you on to really dive into how ML and AI are being used in gaming environments right now. What's the best way to start that discussion? Yeah, let's start out by by, by just acknowledging that whether it's at Microsoft or Amazon or Uber, it's the same kind of technologies that we're using. It's the same algorithms, the same concepts, yeah? Mm. And you would be surprised that when you move into gaming, uh, we again are going to use the same technologies to to bring uh, uh, more automation in. So to uh-huh. have the games uh, uh, optimized, have the games being interacting more closely with you. It's mm-hmm. in many ways the same approach, the same technique as when we at Amazon try to basically sell you more books. Yeah? Right. It's this idea that the systems will learn from you and they will adopt. It's this idea that no developer can sit down and code, you know, a hundred lines of code and then it knows exactly how to get you to buy a book. It's sort of the same concept that we want to bring to the game world. Uh, So there are, I guess I would describe that world in two broad categories. There's uh, machine learning and AI that happens in-game, and then there's you know, all the stuff that many other companies have to deal with, you know, in terms of making people more likely to play the game and, um, you know, optimizing, selling the game and things like that. Uh, are you involved in both sides of the, of, uh, both of those categories at Unity? Exactly. Uh, my job is really two jobs. So one part of my job is to make sure that uh, our many, many thousands of game developers can monetize their games, that they can make money on their games so mm-hmm. that they can develop more games. Yeah, So we uh, support an uh, advertisement infrastructure. We use machine learning to optimize the ads, which is essentially you know, bringing uh, a gamer from one game to another game, and the creator of that game then will make some money from that. And that's a classical uh, monetization through ads structure. There's also in-app purchases where you will spend money within the game, running campaigns and promotions. All that is what I would call sort of very classical machine learning. And it's super important for the ecosystem uh, to be able to to make a living from making games. It's very, Uh very important for our developers. That's only half of the story. The other half of the story is really uh, when it comes to the the creation of games. Mm-hmm. And that's where AI in the gaming world means something slightly different from when I'm using the word AI. Yeah? Okay. So a lot of concepts in the, in the gaming world is uh, AI means having systems that look and behave in a natural way. Right. It's uh, rule-based systems that allow an NPC and, and a non-player character or a computer agent to move around in a game, and it looks uh-huh. sort of reasonable, you know, sensible what it's doing. But a lot of that is either hardwired or coded through a set of rules. Uh, let's actually, if I can press the pause button there, uh, this is a question that I've had asked uh, before. We've had, you know, in in games going back to, you know, my Atari 2600, right? You have the ability to play against the computer. Uh, is that AI? And um, you were just kind of getting at this with the rule-based and others. Uh, what's the difference between that and, you know, where we're trying to get to today? Yeah, th- that's actually a good question. It is it is not what I understand by AI, but it has elements of it, yeah? It implements behavior through rules or, or really, you know, deterministic hardwired code. It implements behavior that may emulate uh, a human player, yeah? But uh-huh. we want to take that a step further, yeah? Uh, that's not the way that companies like Amazon or, or Uber works, yeah? When they... Uh, mm-hmm. 
try to 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 sell you more products or they try to get a car faster to you um that is basically done through the use of data yeah right that's right. where we want to move the game world we want to make sure that games uh learn from previous plays and become more and more natural in the in the inter- interaction with the player yeah and that's where where concepts like machine learning come in yeah mm. uh, I can give some examples uh, of um, a particular branch of machine learning, which is called reinforcement learning. Okay. And and that's essentially uh, where the computer has this ability to to randomly uh, move a character around and 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 learn from that the what happens to that character. Yeah. So if you tell mm-hmm. the computer that character should not get killed, it should be avoid uh, getting shot by the human player, then the character will over time, you know, basically learn behavior and strategies to avoid getting shot. Yeah, So we right. basically say the character has a rewards function, which is you get punished if you get shot or hit, and you get a plus point, you know, for every minute you survive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, with, with the recent developments in deep learning, uh, these agents are able to learn some really complex strategies on their own mm-hmm. that make them very, very appealing to play against. Yeah. Mm. And so, if I'm a player of a game that's you know using uh, an AI-based agent that I'm playing either with or against, how will that feel different to me than you know what I've seen? Uh, with traditional, um, you know, automated opponents or our players. Yeah, the the traditional systems are what we what we could sort of call very shallow. They implement very simple functions, uh, whereas with with uh, this concept of deep learning, we're able to implement, or the system is able to to represent very very complex nonlinear functions. So let me give some mm-hmm. examples. Uh, when uh, uh, when DeepMind uh, introduced AlphaGo, um, it, it it you know it did beat the world champion in Go, and the way it did that was basically by you know playing some moves that initially looked really harmless, that did not get the opponents the human opponents attention, uh, but certainly in very few moves set the human opponent up for failure, yeah? Uh-huh. So uh, we have seen another example of uh, poker playing using deep uh, reinforcement nets for um, for poker playing where the system will learn to bluff. So the big, big difference is that these systems, and I use the term deep here, they're deep in the sense that they have a very good memory of events way back that leads eventually leads to great success. Mm. So they become more strategic than we're used to. In some okay. cases, they become more strategic than any human player would be. Yeah? So they're mm. ready to run the risk, like in poker, they actually mm. run the risk of losing by bluffing because okay. they know that there is a bigger benefit out there. Mm. And it's And not because they were programmed to bluff every so often but rather because they've discovered this strategy through the training process that's accurate spot on and that's the that's the new thing that's what we're able to do today and that really changes the a part of game development to become more about defining the objective or the the success criteria for that npc because mm-hmm. let's just say that we define it as those shall not get shot. Yeah, then the agent will really, you know, be really good at hiding. Yeah, <laughs> you will, right, right. <laughs> and, you, and you will get really good at it. Yeah, or, uh-huh. or just getting away in time every time you try to find it. Yeah, that's not fun. Yeah, so mm-hmm. what you have to do is you have to set up some 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 criteria for that NPC to that eventually will allow it to develop some subtle and complex strategies 
that you cannot predict per se, but mm -hmm. we know will lead to some very, very appealing uh, behavior that will give you know great enjoyment to play against because they are maybe mm. hard to predict. Maybe right. you, you constantly think you're about to have this agent and then they fool you. And right. then it becomes very entertaining. Yeah, And that's what we have seen that these very deep, these deep nets uh, uh, through reinforcement learning can really build up these very complex strategies that, 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 that sometimes I saw a quote from one poker player who basically stated that If he didn't know better, he would he he would characterize that as a really like a human spirit in in that gameplay. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. So the I think the popular examples of um, or at least the this you know the celebrated AI successes have been around these strategy board games like Go and chess. Uh, to what extent are games like? You know your Xbox games like Halo or Call of Duty. To what extent are the various agents in those games powered by something that you would think of as AI today? Uh, today they are powered by what we would call classic game AI. So it's it's in uh, in uh, in most most of the cases that I'm aware of, it's it's very complex rule-based systems. In some cases, way way over a thousand independent rules that have been created by the developers to basically cover a lot of different situations. Uh, it's very complex systems. Uh, but we, we saw a similar approach in, uh, in antivirus uh, programs for a long time. They developed mm -hmm. basically databases of rules that would you know, identify, you know, components or elements of virus software and today all these systems have moved on and are actually using a lot of them are using uh, deep learning uh, uh, for for training on 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 known viruses to detect you know new viruses and are you aware of any particular uh, efforts or results that have been maybe published somewhere uh, on in terms of introducing ai into these types of games No, not not in any commercial games. Uh, we would, of course, you know, from Unity Technologies side, we would. Uh, that's one of our objectives is to 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 offer that uh, sometime in the future. Uh, there's a lot of research going on. Uh, so if we go to academia, go to the research community, there's a great interest in uh, in. Uh, and start working on this. Uh, the appeal the is, of course, that if I can do this, if I can get an NPC in a game to, to act in a very reasonable and intelligent uh, and constructive way, uh, then, you know, eventually, you know, maybe real robots could behave that way too. Right, right. So how do you, as Unity, how do you uh, expect this to evolve and Uh, are there a set of services that you uh, are hoping to deliver to game developers? Um, how do you think this evolves over time uh, to so that we'll see it more in games? Yeah, it's it's my my hope that we can make some of these uh, uh, algorithms uh, available as services. Uh, Essentially, to enable a game developer who is not an AI or neural network or ML guy, you know, some deep AI specialist, but basically a game developer, make a game developer having a toolbox of uh -huh. of, of of AI uh, services that they can use to train a character, uh, and in that sense, sort of gradually enable AI in game development. We have to understand that this is this is the livelihood of of, of you know our developers. This is how how they right. they make money and that's how they live. Yeah, they develop games. So what we want to do is we want to give them these tools that allow them to create maybe uh, you know maybe make it more efficient. They can game, create some games faster. They can create games that are more entertaining, uh, uh -huh. etc. Yeah. Uh, so we want to make that available so that it can sort of gradually be. Be adopted, and we can also learn from the use 
nobody has really done this very much yet. Yeah, so we don't know yet how how it's going to work in practice. In some ways, there's a. It strikes me that there's a precedent for this, and that game developers aren't typically physicists either. But it's very common for them to work with these physics engines nowadays to develop their games. No, that's correct. Uh, we we have. Um we have actually done some uh, studies where we are using reinforcement learning to have characters learn how to move in a world where there's gravity and friction yeah mm. uh, and uh, and inertia and it it's kind of interesting to see how how a, a character can learn uh, you know to to walk or run or jump uh mm-hmm. without uh, knowing it from the outset but by basically attempting you no know, tens of thousands of times you know and over time you will figure out the pattern of movements uh, to jump for instance mm. yeah. mm-hmm. uh, and in that sense you know we are we are actually using the fact that that we can we can simulate gravity simulate friction and inertia in the physics engine okay um, yeah, you know, one question that I've had about the application of reinforcement learning to games is, I guess, when when we think about machine learning in general, and I don't believe that reinforcement learning uh, is a common exception to this. You've got kind of your two separate stages. You've got your training stage and your inference stage. Um, but in a game environment, I imagine part of the appeal of AI is so that the the agents in the game can learn from the game as it's happening, right? So not during a training phase, but during the the actual playing phase. Uh, how is how does that um, you know is that I, I, we've talked about on the show active learning, which may be a part of this, but is there a specific name for that, and uh, how is it commonly done today? Yeah, um, you're, you're absolutely right. Yeah, that that's where I would love to go. <laughs> I, I would love to go. Let, let, let me give some crazy, <laughs> crazy examples. Yet, but imagine uh-huh. that, uh, say that you are playing your Pokemon, Pokemon Go. Yeah, right. You have to train your character. Yeah. Today, yeah. the training of that character is just—it's not really anything. Yeah. You just click a few times, and, and that's how you train it. Yeah. But imagine right. that you are actually training that character to battle, and you could train it for half an hour, one hour, and that you are actually teaching a reinforcement algorithm behind the character yeah, mm-hmm. in real time. And if you're really good at training it, it may beat the, some other uh, person's character yeah, who was mm-hmm. not that good at training it. That's one thing. The other thing is that if a game can learn through gameplay, then it can learn uh, about you. And just like Amazon and Netflix, uh, they basically tailor everything you see to right. to you. I mean, if you right. go to Netflix, what you see is different from what I see. Yeah, it's tailored to you. What if every game, in that sense, was tailored to you? Yeah, if mm. if the game knows that you're only happy if you progress fast through the levels, then right. uh, let's make it easy to progress. Yeah, but if the game knows that I'm sort of more rigorous and I I want you know to fight hard from get to level to level, then um, then that's a different different approach, yeah? What if games could adapt? Oh, that's really interesting. Yeah, yeah I'd be happy if the games could know that, uh, you know, whenever I'm playing Call of Duty, I'm hiding in this particular corner and make it a little bit less easy for me to just camp out there and snipe on people. <laughs> exactly. Yes. You mentioned that one of the one of the motivations for you joining Unity was uh, what was going on in terms of augmented and virtual reality. Can you talk a little bit about that and how where you see the intersections between AR, VR, and AI being? Yeah. Now, if you think about a game as you know it today, being it's, it's a very controlled environment, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I can I can hard code the game. I can add AI to the game, but it's a very controlled environment. Yeah, right. We start moving into VR and AR. Mm-hmm. We start having you know a lot more flexibility. So so let's take take VR a bit. Yeah, now I I, I emerge into a game. I can now you know move around in the game, and I can you know I can pet the characters in the game. I can touch them. Right, um, and. 
when I do that, the bar moves up for what I consider naturalness. Yeah, I, I may play a game on a phone and I can see the characters are not, you know, they are characters and they are a bit artificial in their movements. Yeah, when I put on my goggles, uh, I I want to get immersed into this this new world. Yeah, and things have to act in a very natural way with me. Otherwise, the illusion breaks and it's not really fun. Right. And take that a step further in, in, in augmented reality, the, the game, or should we call it the app, because you can be way more than games, yeah? Let's call right. it the app, yeah? Needs to sort of uh, connect between myself and the surroundings, yeah? And those surroundings can now be anything, yeah? I, I don't know. You, you use this app. I don't know where you're going to use it. I don't know what's going to be there. So uh-huh. you see the bar goes up, constantly up, where you can no longer imagine, you know, a thousand lines of, of uh, code being the answer to everything. Yeah? Right. So that's where you need to have AI really come in. Yeah? And that, that is, 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 of course, a, an area where we can, we can make a big change through AI. Clearly, I think that makes a lot of sense. The user expectation is dramatically increased because you want this environment to be immersive and engaging and feel lifelike. And so it only makes sense that you'd have, you're interacting with intelligent things if they're, you know, beings. Do you expect the the AI techniques that we use to do this to, you know, be the same kind of things that we're applying every place else, or are, these, are there going to be a new set of techniques that come into play when we start talking AR, VR? I think it's going to, initially it's going to be some of the same technologies, but I want to say one thing here, which is when we do talk about this of VR and AR, that we are able to push the boundary of AI much, much further here and much faster. Now, if I'm building a self-driving car, mm-hmm. I I have to be very careful how far I push the boundaries of AI, AI mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. because it's 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 a two two thousand pound or more <laughs> object that may actually kill people if right. I'm not you know understanding what I'm doing as a machine learning on AI expert. Yeah, uh, so you need to really put a lot of boundaries in. Uh, when you build an industrial robot, it's the same, yeah? It needs to build a, beel, a car, but it, 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 sh- it should not, you know, hit the operator around it. it so it has, right. there's a lot of hardwiring taking place. When you move to VR and AR, I'm like, how, you know, how, how bad can it be? <laughs> what harm can you make, yeah? So you can right. really push the boundary there, yet you create a, 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 a complete, you know, believable world, yeah? Mm. At the same time, yeah? So, so you give people this experience and you can push the boundaries of AI to its very limits. And if you go over, people take the goggles off and say, no, nah, that was really bad. <laughs> you know? right. That was not believable, right. yeah? Right. Yeah. Mm. And that attracts me a lot to this space here. Because uh-huh. when you sell books or you get taxis around, you are to a great <laughs> extent limited by the physical world. Right. Yeah. Right. Now we can we can really play tricks with the physical world. And if those tricks they fail, we didn't really kill anyone. Have you seen any interesting implementations or early results in marrying AI and AR VR. We we have done some experiments. Uh, I think that this is uh, this is still uh, emerging technology. Uh, there's a lot of things around VR and AR that has not yet really been tried out and not yet fully understood. Uh, sure. But I think that very quickly, uh, creators of of games and apps in AR and VR are realizing that they're going to have to step it up a bit because people expect that natural interaction. Yeah. So in, in, right. in, in many VR uh, apps and games today, you can, you can pick up an object and you can maybe throw it. Yeah. Uh-huh. But you would love that same interaction with other virtual characters or non-person characters in, in, in those games. Yeah. 
right. and, and you right. really like to interact with them and you want to interact with them in your way and they should be able to respond in a natural and not, you know, some uncanny way. Mm, mm-hmm. And I think we still have some way to go there. Right, right. Yeah, I think that may be a bit of a summary of that one bucket, which is the in-game experience and in VR, AR experiences, it, it's just super early and you guys are experimenting as are a lot of people, but, um, you know, we're still far from, you know, Call of Duty X, whatever the next version is, being a fully AI enabled game. Yeah, that's for sure. The part we are trying to play there is to enable the basic technologies so that our game developers can start playing with it and sort of evolve it and help us understand what works and what does not work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so how about in the other bucket um, where you're uh, applying ML and AI to you know, more for, for, from a business perspective, what are some of the results that you've been able to uh, achieve there? Yeah, so, so by basically understanding what kind of games people play just like what kind of movies you watch and what kind of books you read, you basically understand what kind of games you play. You are you are able to uh, uh, pinpoint much better uh, recommendations or ads uh, for other games. Yeah, so you will you will okay. if you always play single shooter games, uh, we you know probably it would be best off showing you some trailers for other single shooter games. Yeah, <laughs> right, um, right. But that technology is in there that Amazon, that uh, Netflix has been very good at technologies that basically start exploring uh, uh, your your interests, even exploring the things that you maybe don't even know yet that you're actually interested in. Uh-huh. So, so basically using machine learning to better get to know you and, and your game preferences and make sure that you can discover those games because there's so many 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 games in in the app store yeah on google play mm-hmm. that there's so many games that you can't possibly find all the games that you actually really like yeah so we'll basically learn over time uh what your preferences are and find those games for you what have you found challenging in applying these technologies at unity and for that matter at previous organizations what you know what are the challenge patterns that you come up with when you're trying to introduce this or mature it in a given organization yeah yeah, yeah that whether that is amazon uber or, or or unity uh technologies that it's the same all the way around and mm-hmm. that is that you should not need to be a machine learning expert or an AI expert uh, to accomplish this. Right. You should be able to say, my problem is selling more shoes or selling more books or getting taxes on time. Uh-huh. Therefore, uh, I should be able to use machine learning services to get there. Right. And that's how I thought about it at Amazon by basically creating as a platform. We also launched uh, the Amazon machine learning system. We launched that on Amazon Web Services for the public to use. Mm-hmm. And that is very powerful because now you get people with real business problems, people with real incentives to improve their business using these technologies which are way superior to any attempt of trying to to write you know a thousand lines of C plus plus code or whatever to solve the problem, yeah. Basically, right. based right. on that data, they can train computers to do a better job, yeah. So, in in all these organizations, it was a matter of making it available in a meaningful way, and that's what I'm I'm doing at Unity too, is to make sure that game developers do not have to have a PhD in machine learning to benefit from right. it. What lessons have you learned in building these machine learning platforms at Amazon, Uber, and now Unity? The lesson, the lessons, this one big lesson learned, which is that it just works really, really well. 
Uh huh. So make that, it just work. It it but but no machine learning does work oh, really well. Okay. It does okay. it does provide results. Period. Mm. And uh, uh, there may be a lot of talk about it. There may be a lot of talk about deep learning. Uh, some people call it hype. I'm like, yep, you can call it hype. You can call it whatever you want. But the 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 proof is there that we are able to improve business where we move from a concept of trying to analyze and investigate and implement to a world where we basically use the data to, to improve the business mm. through learning. And whether that is selling books, driving taxis, or developing and playing and selling games, uh-huh. machine learning is, is it really works. You've um, been talking to different groups about the notion of bringing machine learning to every corner of your business. Um, and to me, that suggests, you know, not just the obvious places, um, but maybe some interesting places. Do you have any uh, stories or examples of, you know, interesting corners that you have been able to bring machine learning and, you you know, where you found you know, interesting or surprising results? Yeah, um, I, I would say that uh, you often run into business problems. Uh, uh, if you're selling shoes, you're, one of your key business problems is that uh, people get uh, get a shoe online, ordered online, they get a shoe and it doesn't fit. Yeah? Mm-hmm. Machine learning is one of these wonderful things where all the return data, all the shoes that did fit and all the shoes that did not fit, if you use that data, you can start predicting how different uh, shoes, shoe brands, you know, do they run large, do they run small, are they spot on? You can even start uh, predicting what, what shoe size a given uh, customer has, yeah? And you can basically right. use that to give a better shoe purchasing experience. To me, mm-hmm. that's kind of... A surprise, yeah. I, I didn't yeah. really think about shoes, but that's when you enable machine learning uh, t- into a non-machine learning environment, you will see business problems popping up. Another one is, imagine, uh, I've seen this being used, uh, I won't be specific, but where machine learning is used within HR to to basically uh, complement or one day maybe even replace, you know, performance reviews and things like that, yeah? Mm-hmm. Uh, to predict, uh, to analyze resumes and 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 predict, you know, which uh, candidates may be good and strong uh, future employees. Right. Um, so there are areas. Uh, it, it's sort of to me uh, because I've always been on the platform side of this. Uh-huh. It's 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 I I get surprised uh, almost, <laughs> if not daily, but then close, uh, <laughs> close to daily um, on on what people are using this for. And and that is really what matters. Is it matters? You know, let's enable a lot of people to use this technology. And so, in order to 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 make that vision real, how do you build the right relationship between the you know the platform people, the data science people, the business people, so that you can kind of build capacity as a, an organization that uses machine learning effectively? Yeah, you need to. You need to avoid making this uh, a um, a very custom effort for every single team and for every single use. Mm. That's what it traditionally, you know, that's where it came from, yeah? You would have a team that would have a business need. You would hire data scientists. You would hire machine learning engineers. You would implement proprietary algorithms, and uh, you would maintain those, and then you would need to hire more people as your business scales, etc., yeah? Um, and and one thing that um, I did at Uber was to build a machine learning stack from the ground up mm-hmm. entirely based on open source yeah? mm. and define it, build it and define it as a platform. Yeah. So what I find over the years is that a lot of team come and say, I need this feature, I need that feature, this is very important. This is very important for me. I need this other feature, which is even more important for me. Well, right. that's the wrong mindset. Because what they need to do is they need to 
deploy a lot of machine learning uh, models across mm-hmm. their business rather than just fixating on one particular one. Yeah, and I have often seen this in say in in fraud detection teams. They would okay. have some very custom algorithms detecting you know certain kind of fraud. And I sort of compared to you know you have five locks on your front door, but you leave all the windows open. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So these very customized uh, solutions, uh, I think, should be something of the past, because using open source, using standardized algorithms, is so much more efficient. So rather than one magic model, deploy ten or fifty or one hundred different models right, on right. your business. Can you speak at all to the specific open source tools and projects that you use to build that platform at Uber? Absolutely. It's, it's, it's all public. There are slides around if you Google it. Um, but it's essentially a, a Hadoop, uh, HDFS, Hadoop, Spark, things like MLlib, uh, XGBoost, an open source, uh, very, very versatile open source uh, algorithm from University of Washington, uh, things like Cafe, TensorFlow, um, Kafka for streaming, um, Cassandra for, uh, for for structured data. It's, mm-hmm. it's You can get really, really far with all those tools uh, combined uh, without any need for, uh, for really uh, deep uh, customization. And so the platform you built was um, something that made all of these available, and did you put some kind of layer on top of it to you know, for visualization or automation, or how did you pull all of these disparate tools together? Yeah, uh, both at, at, at uh, Amazon and Uber, the, the, the key contribution was essentially uh, a uh, defining, you know, a really solid SDK, so people could programmatically integrate with that system. Okay. Uh, a uh, nice and easy-to-use graphical user interface, a web-based uh, browser-based uh, interface. Uh, mm-hmm. Again, because we want uh, a, a wide range of users to 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 not feel that the barrier of entry is too high. Yeah? Uh, and then, so, so really the user interface, the SDK side, that's how to access the systems. And then at the other end of it, you need to have the system being able to easily access the data of the company. So you need to integrate on the data side into the data repositories of the company, whether right. that's existing data warehousing, data lakes, uh, you know, relational databases, etc. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so the stack is really uh, is really um, something I, I I would say is not the stack itself is not as important as long as it works and runs, but right, it's sort right. of that integration on both the front end and the back end. Into into the business that's important because mm-hmm. that lowers the barrier of entry. It makes it easy for you to build a model if you don't have to track down uh, data from outside your team. Mm-hmm. Um, on the front end of that, was the primary user experience like a IPython notebook or Jupyter notebook, rather, uh, or? Um, were there different ways that developers access the system? Yeah, uh, there was a, 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 a total custom custom user interface. There was also you could also basically use uh, things like Jupyter Notebook. As long as the system has a Python SDK, you can mm-hmm. do that integration very quickly. Yeah? And you right. can now run your you can run your your model building jobs from Jupyter. You can visualize stuff. You can deploy from Jupyter. Yeah. Uh, uh, so I, I personally I love I love Jupyter Notebook. I think it's an incredible tool. Mm-hmm. Uh, a custom user interface, fine too. But most of all, actually, is is the the SDKs in multiple languages are important mm-hmm. because that mm-hmm. allows. Uh, Backend engineers to to easily integrate machine learning into their offerings. Yeah, so mm. if you take the mobile app at the mobile app at Uber, uh, when you open the app up, it suggests two, uh, one or two or three likely destinations that you 
normally go to that piece that's that that was actually a piece of machine learning right there yeah using mm. your data to build models that predict where you're going to go you know on a given day of the week at a given right. time interesting uh when we spoke previously you talked a little bit about your vision for really fully autonomous corporations what does that mean and uh what do you envision there yeah if you follow me on thinking that we can use really deep reinforcement learning to train an NPC or a Go player or a poker player, yeah, if we can train a computer to mm -hmm. use uh, really deep and complex strategies, including bluffing, um, if we can train it to do that, then we can probably also train an agent to, say, sell books or sell movies, yeah, and become mm -hmm. better and better at it, yeah? I mean, like, in the end, it should become the best book-selling agent in the world, yeah? Mm. And you can mm -hmm. take that further and say, well, uh, the point, for instance, let, let's just take an example. Not only which books should I try to sell, but what should the prices be? Yeah? Right. So imagine that you use reinforcement learning to figure out what is the right price to sell stuff at, yeah? And I, I, what is the right time to order books at so that we don't run out of book for logistics reasons, yeah? When should we order the parts to build, you know, our Xbox, our, our Kindle, our hardware, yeah? Right. If you look at a lot of uh, problems that humans are, are solving in corporations today, I think many of those problems can be learned and solved by by a computer, if if you take mm. re reinforcement learning, deep reinforcement learning as we know it today, as a starting point, and basically just think a little out there, uh, why not? Right, right. Yeah, I think what's interesting about that to me is that we often think about this uh, AGI, artificial general intelligence, as this kind of one Uber AI that you know is just very human like and can reason and um, you know, do everything. Uh, but you're describing a, you know, something that, that could create tremendous value that is, you know, much less ambitious, right? It's a collection of, uh, of AIs that are more purpose built. Uh, and we should be able to get there, you know, a lot quicker. Yeah. I, 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 I'm kind of struggling with the whole AGI debate. It's sort <laughs> of maybe, you know, plus one or plus two, out there for me. Uh, uh -huh. But I do think that there is an interesting perspective in if we envision a world where reinforcement learning, I'm using that as sort of a very general term here, yeah, but there will, you know, be many different variations of it. But we do envision mm -hmm. a world where a company like Amazon use that not, you know, just to selling books, not just in 10 places, but they use it 5,000 parts of their company, yeah? They use right. it everywhere, yeah? Right. And you start having these systems interacting. Um, you know, at one point, uh, when you add it all up, you get more than the sum, yeah? Mm -hmm. Because now you're going to get the effect of, I'm really good at selling, I'm really good at finding the right price point, to maximize revenue. I'm really good at understanding what people want. I'm really good at understanding ordering all the parts and components in time so that I never run out, etc., etc. And suddenly you have sort of a whole product pipeline happening yeah, um, mm. with very limited uh, human intervention. Yeah, Is that right. AGI? I, I don't think people think of that, but is that right. looking like a super intelligent corporation? Oh, right. yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. It strikes me that there's a whole field of study and research that would need to happen to allow us to manage this thing. Like apply, it's almost the application of traditional control systems work to these independent AI systems like hysteresis so you don't you know, over or under order or order too aggressively. It's just a whole layer that needs to happen there that 
we're clearly yeah, not there yet. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree with that observation. And I also think that, and, and, and we start seeing this in, 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 in some papers coming out, I do see a, sh- a shift uh, in, in some research that now goes more towards researching the strategy around teaching computers, yeah? So basically, mm. examples are like if I give a reinforcement learning algorithm, if I give it too hard of a problem to begin with, it's not going to solve it, yeah? Mm-hmm. But if I sort of give it you know, increasingly difficult problems to solve, it gets really good at it. Yeah. Hmm. So that's kind of learning strategies. And mm-hmm. uh, so we're not talking about, we're not talking about the technology here. We're not talking about, you know, this particular structure of a deep neural net or something like that. We're All just right. talking right. about how do I best teach a computer? Yeah? Mm. And that company is looking at how can I minimize the need for data? Because data can be, you know, difficult to get by so right. the way I can I can learn more efficiently so if you think about some of these uh, research topics are kind of at a meta level yeah so far we have been so eager to study algorithms uh, and methods uh, but mm-hmm. maybe a lot of the future research is really about what what does a good school for computers look like mm, interesting interesting uh, well as we wind down any parting thoughts or words for our audience I think that the audience should look at uh, the gaming and the gaming platforms as a fantastic uh, lab uh, for AI that's going to give us a peek into the future. Because if you think about NPCs moving around in a game, you know, they are really robots, yeah? But right. robots in the physical world, they take, you know, easily a year to two years to build. Yeah. And they're expensive. Very expensive. Lots of uh, mechanical engineering. Yeah. But if you right. think about an NPC in a, in, a, in a computer game, that's pretty much a robot too. Uh, you can evolve them quickly. You can try out different you know, dimensions, different mechanisms. Uh, everything can happen at, uh, at uh, you know, surreal speeds yeah? <laughs> compared mm-hmm. to the real world. So right. I think that I, the way I look at the gaming world uh, is way beyond gaming. I'm looking at it as like what is going to be possible in the physical world, you know, mm. five, ten years from now. Well, that may be possible in the gaming world next week. Mm. That's awesome. That's great. Great. All right, Danny. Well, thank you very much for joining us. It was, it was great having you on the show and great chatting with you. Oh, it was a pleasure. I enjoyed it. Thank you. All right, everyone, that's our show for today. Once again, thanks so much for listening and for your continued support. Don't forget to leave your, re- Don't forget to leave your review or comment to enter our one-year anniversary listener appreciation contest. The full details can be found along with the notes for this show over at twimlai.com slash talk slash 24. Over at twimlai.com slash talk slash 24, where you'll also find links to Danny and the various resources mentioned in the show. You are all amazing and we love you. Thanks so much for listening and catch you next time.